What's up guys, welcome to another episode. In this episode, I spoke to John Detroit, who is a director of the film Hoaxed, which is a feature documentary, which I actually hadn't seen the documentary until I just happened to meet John when I was in Merida in Mexico. But after that meeting, I went away and watched the documentary and it is really, really good. So I would recommend that everyone watch that documentary before listening to this if you haven't um, seen it already, because uh, we allude to a few of the scenes in there and some of the themes So it might be useful for context just to know what we're talking about. But we talk about the documentary itself uh, and then just some wider things about, I guess, fake news in general and the inability to kind of trust these legacy institutions. So we cover a whole host of different things, including John's journey of leaving Canada to go and live in Mexico. If you're enjoying the podcast, it'd be really appreciated if you give it a five-star review on whichever podcast service you're using to listen to it. And if you enjoyed the episode and want to share it on social media, then that would be great too. All right, on to the episode. So I was kind of refreshing my mind with the with the documentary today, actually. Man, I probably I probably should have done that too. <laughs> it's been a while, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some themes that I wanted to kind of riff on. But it, it, it's such a good film, man. Like, congratulations, honestly. Like, for um, yeah, just thank you. It's a, it's a really really great uh, really great documentary. Anyway, man, um, let's let's get straight into it. So, welcome to the podcast. So. Yeah, we met in Merida, obviously, and uh, it was really cool meeting you there. And at the time I met you, I didn't realize that this documentary, Hoaxed, was the film that, that you made. Um, I'd heard about it, and uh, I watched it since, and it's absolutely awesome. So I'd recommend everyone before they actually listen to this podcast to go and watch Hoaxed, because we'll definitely like touch on a few of the themes in there. And it's a great documentary. Like Everyone should see it, for sure. Um, so yeah, man, let's just get into a bit of your um, history, kind of how you got involved with that documentary, and a little bit of your, your, uh, your lead up to that. All right. Well, uh, first of all, it's nice to have me on the podcast and uh, it's good to see you again. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to have a, a, a chat. Um, so yeah, as far as Hoaxed goes, um, yeah, the, you know, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a background. So I, um, uh, in, in 2004, I dropped out of university. I was, I was at University of Toronto in Canada. I dropped out because I just realized that it wasn't, you know, this just wasn't for me. Right. Like I, you know, I, uh, I, I did not want to lead a life where I'm just going to be basically doing what everybody else does. Um, I just, I kind of had this epiphany when I was sitting in philosophy class and, you know, there were 400 other students in the classroom and I'm sitting way at the top. I can't even see what my instructor looks like. And I just realized, you know what, I'm going to be competing with all these people for the same jobs. And, you know, it's, it's just, you know, I, I feel like this is, this, it's not the path I'm supposed to take. So I, I dropped out and, um, you know, I've always had a real interest in movie making and movies. And so um, at the time I went, you know, I talked to my parents, I'm like, I'm dropping out. I'm going to just make movies now. And uh, to my astonishment, they were fine with that. Uh, they just, they wanted me to go to film school. So I went to film school, you know, that was, that was a compromise because I, I just wanted to get into it myself. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, went to film school in Toronto and, um, you know, it was a good experience, especially at that time. This is before YouTube really took off because nowadays you can, you can learn anything on YouTube, especially filmmaking, but, uh, you know, over the years, uh, you know, you know, being in the city and being in the film industry there, I, um, I just felt like I don't really fit in here. Um, and you know, at that point, um, well, in about 2009 is when I really, that's when I really figured out, like, uh, 
Well, I, I guess you could say that's when I that's when I had my uh, that's when that's when I had my political awakening, right? And uh, that that really made me realize, like, I don't I don't fit in here. It's it's too liberal, basically. And uh, you know, and I, I got along well with the people, but we we didn't really connect on on a deep level. And you know, I just wanted to make projects, make short films, and and all that. But it uh, it was always a little bit awkward, you know, working with these people because you know they they know and I know that you know, we're just different. So in about 2014, I, you know, I, uh, I really felt the need to leave the city. Um, at that time, my wife was pregnant and we didn't want to raise a son, um, in, in, in a city like Toronto. So we, uh, you know, uh, long story short, like an opportunity arose for us to move out West to, to BC and Canada, uh, into a small town, in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's actually uh, the town's Williams Lake in British Columbia. So we moved there, and I mean, there's no film industry there. There's nothing there, okay? And and this is all I have. Like, I don't have any other education. I don't have any other skills, really. So, you know, it's kind of like, it's one of those crazy moves. And, um, yeah, I I made some I, I made some projects on, on my lonesome there, and it was tough and everything. But, um, and, you know, 2015 swung around, and, and then the election... Um, you know, the, the election campaign in the U.S. started heating up and, and Trump came on the scene, um, which, which sort of re-sparked my interest in politics because uh, I used to be more active, in, you know, in Canada in 2004 and just got disillusioned. So when he came along, I got more involved. I started getting on Twitter and then I started following this guy, Mike Cernovich. And he had a pretty big following and I just really liked what he had to say. You know, he, he was a little bit off color, especially at that time. And uh you know, but I, I just liked what he had to say. I felt like I, I really understood this guy. And uh, I actually sent him a DM because, you know, at, at that point, uh, he, you know, he would open up his DMs every now and then. And I sent him a DM. I'm like, you know, I just have this feeling we're going to be working together at some point. Now, he never really responded to that, obviously, because a lot of people would DM him. Um, but um, I think about two months after that, uh, he, he put out a call that, he you know, he's looking for director. He's looking for a director to uh, to film a um a documentary on fake news. Um, and the way he wants to select one is he wants people to basically make like a, like a fake trailer and submit that. And, um, and then you will make a selection, right? So uh, I got to work and there was a lot of things going on at that time for me, uh, just, you know, in terms of scheduling, it was just tough. And I thought I was not going to, I was just not going to be able to, you know, to make this deadline. And uh, I just kind of gave up and then, took a shower, like, you know, like the cliche goes, and I just got this idea of, of how to really make a hook for this trailer. So I went back to work, I got it in, and uh, obviously I got selected. Now, uh, he selected two directors, so me being one, the other the other director is Scooter Downey. Uh, and, you know, as we've we worked really well together, and, uh, you know, we've become great friends since then. He's not, he's not working for Tucker Carlson. He's doing all those documentaries like... Um, Patriot Purge on the January 6th thing and, uh, and the Kyle Rittenhouse documentary. So he's doing excellent work right now. I just want to shout out Scooter Downey. Um, so yeah, we started working together and yeah, that's, uh, you know, the rest is history. You know, we made the film that you saw. Amazing. Amazing. So I was going to kind of give a description myself just for people in case they haven't uh, taken my advice and actually watched it before listening to this, but do you want to just give a little bit of a synopsis of the documentary in your best words, essentially? Right. Okay. So hoax is really, it's just a documentary about fake news, but um, it, it, it goes deeper than just like your, Oh, see how they lied here and see how they lied there. Like we do, 
do that as well in the documentary, but we, we go deeper because we, we really wanted to show the danger of, um, of, of, you know, like, like of, of the lies, right. And especially at that level, because the media has a lot of power in shaping people's reality and how they view reality. And they just, they, they are abusing that power uh, to insane levels. I mean, it's just gotten worse since the documentary came out and um yeah, so we, we just wanted to make that warning pretty clear. Like, you know, if you um, if you live in a society that uh, that is basically built on lies and, you know, wars happen because of these lies and things like, you know, what we saw with COVID, you know, this huge power grab, it's all based on on lies and, 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 and you know, like manipulating facts and things like that and, you know, and spin and everything. Um, it's not going to end well. And, uh, more likely than not, uh, it's almost guaranteed you are going to end up in a totalitarian society. And I think we're seeing that pretty clearly right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it's actually probably more relevant than ever. And things actually seem almost on overdrive right now. Like I was just, like I said to you before, I was just watching this, um, the documentary, just to kind of recap uh, before having this conversation. And a big kind of section of it is about um, how the kind of war machine is pushing their agenda through the media. Essentially, how, how um, kind of weapons manufacturers and you know contracting companies, etc., that they're using the media um, to kind of manufacture content for war, right? Mm -hmm. And it almost seems. I mean, literally today. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when this will go out, but literally today, I woke up and there's some news story um, about a, a kind of genocide in in Ukraine and. You know, it just really reminded me, like, maybe this has happened, but given what we've seen the media doing kind of historically, whether that whether that's, you know, the Iraq war, whether that's the war in Libya, um, you know, the war in Syria, etc. We know that the media has absolutely no shame in completely lying about all of these issues. And now every time I'm seeing an article, it's like, you know, I don't want to go kind of too tinfoil hat on everything, but I just don't feel like there's any... Um, way that I can kind of trust the media. It's almost like right. everything I see, it, it's not that I say it's not true, but I'm basically neutral now. I'm like, there's just as much chance as this being completely false and fabricated as there is being true. Now, that kind of goes both ways, right? Because you want to be able to trust the media and there is a problem um, when you don't trust anything. You don't trust anything that's being told. I mean, you have to have some level of trust in society, I guess, to, to kind of operate. Um, but on the other hand, uh, it seems that with some of these really big events, like um, in particular kind of um, pretext for going to war, that they are very, very often fabricated. Um, so I guess to turn this into a question is, how are you seeing the current situation with Ukraine through that lens of having learned so much about fake media historically? Right. You know, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, I, I, I worked on this doc. And, you know, you, you definitely, you know, like I've, I've, I've developed like a real sensitivity to this sort of thing, but still when it first started, you know, I, I didn't know that much about Ukraine and Russia and the history there. I mean, I, I knew there was, you know, the, you know, there's a history that goes back a long time, but um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not well-versed in the situation there. So, and I still, for the first few days got a little bit taken by, you know, you know, by the whole, um, you know, by the whole narrative, you know, that, uh, that was pushed by the Western media, basically. Uh, it didn't take me long to start to see the red flags, right? So this, this whole hero worship of Zelensky, 
Um, and, 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 you know, like just these weird reports, you know, like, oh, uh, insane numbers of, of Russian dead soldiers that, that just don't make sense. You know, like 5,000 of them died in the first two weeks or something. It just, it, it, it just beggars belief, right? It's just too outrageous. And then you see more of things like how they um, basically use video game footage as, as reports, you know, and, and not saying it's video game footage. Like uh, at, at that point, you're like, okay, there's something else going on here. And then um, of course you do a little bit more digging. You go back into the last few years, you, you, you do some research into what the media, what they said about that region and that issue, you know, before, you know, like this conflict took off. And it's interesting because all of a sudden you see the same people who are basically, um, you know, engaging in bloodlust right now in the media. You know, back in 2014, uh, the things they were saying line up with, you know, what what uh, what, what Vlad Putin is saying right now. And uh, so, so now you know, like like that's a big red flag. Okay, they 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 are finessing the story, they're finessing the narrative because they want to believe a certain thing, and it's not hard to see what they want. They they want war. Now, I don't think. I don't think the U.S. government is monolithic in this regard, but you know there definitely is a uh, a, a large contingent that that is that wants to push for war. And and also you know just going back to Russia Gate, um, we now know. Well, it's it's now common. It should be common knowledge. It's now in the open. It's now been admitted. We've obviously known this all along that you know the whole Russia Gate narrative was was fabricated. But it's interesting that they 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 chose Russia to be the villain way back in 2016, 2015, 16. So it shows you that there's a long running agenda at play here. I mean, you know, it, it could have been China, it could have been China gate. It could have been, you know, who knows, right? But they, they chose Russia to be the villain to smear Trump with. Um, so to me, that just says that they've been looking at Russia as a villain for a long, long time. Uh, there's been, you know, there's been, there's been war lust against Russia for a long time. And I think now, now that he's been out of office and they're back in power, they can go ahead with that agenda to uh, make that happen. And we're watching it play out now in real time. Yeah. That's really interesting that you say that. Um, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought, I hadn't really made that connection actually that we're kind of being, being fed this, this Russia thing, um, with, Russia Gate, you know, which right. it wasn't a huge, um, as big a story in, in England that it was in the US. So just to summarize, it, it's basically the theory that, you know, Trump was planted there by the Russians. And I mean, it, I found it so ridiculous, even at the time, because what I found crazy about the Russia Gate thing is that were we supposed to just forget that Donald Trump was this really public figure who had a TV show called The Apprentice and that he was right. almost, you know, kind of somewhat loved. Okay, you might not agree with his politics, but everyone, you know, liked The Apprentice and all this stuff. And then it was all like, all of a sudden, oh, um, by the way, uh, Trump is a Russian agent. And it's just like, hang on a second. It, you know, how could this possibly be true? It's not as if nobody knew who he was and he kind of came out the shadows. Like this is a guy who's been a very public figure for a very long time. And that just seemed like such a weird thing. It was almost, it was almost childish, you know, the way that they, they tried to try to, to paint Trump. It was like expecting, and maybe this was understandable, but it was expecting such a level of um, elementary thinking from the public to believe that story, right. I guess. Yeah, and that is a big problem actually because uh, it, you know it's 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 sort of hard to admit that 
that we as members of the public, we're, we're all sort of, you know, like we're all sort of culpable here. Obviously, like we're not, we're not monolithic once again, you know, as the public, but, you know, the public has been dumbed down for, I would say, at least two generations now. And, uh, you know, this is basically evidenced by what we saw with the whole Will Smith thing, right? Um, you know, we, we, we have this war happening in, in, in Europe, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, it may very well end up in a world war. We have, uh, you know, for example, Canada, which is, which is my home country, uh, just falling into totalitarianism, like, you know, so rapidly, uh, it, it's a crisis. It's a huge crisis. We, you know, we've got the gas prices happening um, in, in the US and, you know, the housing market problems and everything. There, there's so many problems going on, but, if, you know, when Will Smith slaps Chris Rock, that's all anybody can talk about. That's literally all they can talk about. And that is a sad thing because we're, we're not an engaged public. We're, we're a propagandized public and we've been taught, you know, you know, to basically adopt this bread and circuses mentality, right? Now, at some point that's gonna break down and it's not gonna be pretty, it's gonna be pretty ugly. But, um, you know, which is again, I, I know at some point you wanna talk about this, we can maybe talk about it later, but uh, it's a big reason why I'm here in Mexico, right? Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, sad to say we're, we're not, you know, we, we, we shoulder a lot of the blame for what's happening as the public for sure. It's just kind of like a, a spiral and it almost seems like at the point now, and this is something that's mentioned in, in the documentary that I wanted to, to touch on is one of the interviewees and apologies, I can't actually remember who it was right now, but they said, it's almost as if, if you're, you know, on the wherever you are on the political spectrum, you will look at something and you will kind of apply your own understanding before you even came across this thing, right? So for instance, yeah. if, you're, if you're on the far left, you'll see a story and you'll say, ah, oh, well, you know, this must mean that Trump's, you know, evil, this, that, or the other. And if you're on the, right. you know, the, maybe the, the right, you're going to think, um, oh, well, this person, you know, is, is an evil communist or whatever. And it's, it's almost like you kind of like bring, you bring something to the table already and it's very difficult to look at something and assess it logically and um yes. you know you meant you mentioned before with this um with the russia thing um you know we had these these videos that were going out where it was literally showing um footage from a video game and saying this is the this is the war in ukraine and right. you know for, for people i guess like me and i i would assume probably yourself you look at that and you go they've tried to pull one here the media has tried to lie to the public and um if you actually believe the media or you believe the kind of mainstream narrative on this conflict, then your assessment is, oh, well, it's so crazy. There's so much going on that it, the conflict is so wild that um, it's impossible to find out what's going on. That's how this video game footage slipped mm -hmm. in, right? So you, you're you basically going to either blame or forgive the media, depending on what you already believe about this conflict. Right. So how do we get around that? How do we actually get to a point where people are assessing things logically and reasonably? Like, is this something that gets resolved at an education level? Can, like, can you educate people out of this? Or is it like, where, where do we kind of, where do we go? Where do we, where do we nip that in the bud? Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Very good question. Um, so, uh, the, uh, the guy who said that in the movie was, uh, Scott Adams. I'm pretty sure he's talking about the, uh, the two movies, one screen, so you have two different people watching the same movie essentially. And uh, they basically, you know, they, they walk away at the end of it, having two, having seen two different movies in their head, right. Based on their confirmation biases and everything. 
And uh, that is a real problem. And I think it's gotten worse because we're so polarized. We don't talk to each other anymore. Um, we had a hard time, you know, finding people on the left of the political spectrum to, you know, to basically talk to us for the movie, to sit down and talk to us because there's so much distrust. And that was back in 2017 already when we shot the movie. And, and, and it's, it's been a problem at that point for a while. It's just gotten worse and worse. So we need to be able to, you know, to, to have conversations with each other, um, you know, so we can understand each other. You don't have to necessarily agree, but I think it's important to, to, to see, you know, the other person's perspective and, 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 and how the world makes sense to them. But the thing is, you know, it's hard to do that when, when, you know, these accusations get thrown around of Nazi and racist, right? Um, you know, how do you talk to, you know, you know, like if, if you're a Nazi, they're not going to talk to you. It's like, we don't negotiate with terrorists kind of mentality, right? So if you're, if you're branded a Nazi, if you're branded a terrorist, and this is, you know, the media is pushing this, they're amplifying these voices, um, it's impossible to have this conversation. So there's, in my mind, there's no real way around it. Um, it's it's going to take a collapse of society. And then it's going to take a few generations of, of, of good education, if that happens, you know, to actually get around that problem. So it's, uh, it's a pretty bleak, you know, prognosis from my point of view. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> so on that um, note of kind of, you know, th these, um, I guess, like media emissions. Um, something that, um, something else that came up when I was watching the documentary was, it says in there about um, this, it's quite a funny section about how Cernovich was basically talking about Hillary's mental health, uh, sorry, not her mental issue, but her health issues and saying, oh, could she have this? Could she have that? And everyone was kind of slating him for it, saying, you know, it's fake news. But actually, all of the mainstream media was doing the same for Trump. And they were saying, you know, that he, he was a psychopath and he had mental, you know, um, whatever, so he, that he was kind of on the spectrum of a personality disorder. Yeah. And, um, and now we have Biden as president and the media is very, very clearly in my estimation, very, very clearly um, hiding um, that he has severe cognitive decline. I mean, we're not even talking, I mean, maybe at the beginning of the presidency, we were talking about slight cognitive decline, but at this point, it's huge. You know, I mean, it's just right. um, undeniable. I mean, even the, the, the people, even the Democrats are really having a hard time um, getting around this. Um, that seems like one of the craziest stories not being talked about right now, that you basically have a sitting president um, who's pretty much lost his marbles and, you know, he should really be in a, in an old people's home somewhere not sitting at the, the head of the table of the most powerful country in the world. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically at this point, it's, it's, it's tantamount to like, um, what's the term elder abuse, right? Uh, you know, this guy, I mean, he's kind of a jackass and he has been for a very long time. Uh, but you know, he should be, he should be living out his last days, at home with, with his kids. Although, you know, I'm sure there's some issues there as well or his grandkids or something. Also, there are some issues there as well. So, I mean, on one hand, you, you feel that way. On the other hand, it's like, this guy just needs to, he just needs to die. Right. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, he, uh, it, it, you know, as far as the media, as, as far as the media's coverage of it goes, it is, again, it's, it's just a, a stark reminder of how they are not committed you know, to the truth, they're not committed to even like appearing impartial in their coverage. It, it's just complete, you know, it, so I haven't watched, I haven't watched cable news 
for many, many years now. I'd say probably 2010. And, um, you know, when we, when we did the documentary, you know, we would have to go and, and you know, like find these clips in the research. And I'd be shocked at, at how obvious the bias is. And, and, and recently too, like, uh, you know, so last year, um, you know, like I, uh, we, we had to go back to Canada to, you know, go, uh, yeah, we had to go back to Canada to go and, and, and drive down some of our stuff, right. That we still had up there. And, um, you know, we stayed in hotels and there's TV there. You turn it on, you see the local news and like my jaw just drops at, at how, how much worse it is now. And of course it's like the boiling frog, right? So if, if you're, if, you know, if, if, you know, like you're a, um, if, if you're like a regular news watcher, a cable news watcher, you're not going to really notice how, how much the Overton window has been pushed on this stuff. Um, but if you're like me and then, you know, you, you maybe turn it on once in, in like several years, you see it, you see how insane it is. And it, it's just sad that, uh, it's just sad that, that, that so many people have just been so demoralized and in, into, you know, just in, you know, in, in, into believing whatever they see on the news. And again, you know, with the, in the last two, three years with, you know, this COVID thing, um, you can see the dangers of that because you've had people, not just believing that this vaccine is good and it's going to save it's going to end the pandemic and all this stuff, which is if you have a little bit of understanding of, of how this stuff works, like just a little bit, you don't have to be an expert. You know that a vaccine is not going to end the pandemic. Right. So, but you know, it's, it's not just, it's not just them believing it. It's also, it's also them seeing it as some sort of like a religious duty, you know, to take the shot. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. And um, it, it's really sad to see because their minds are wasted at this point. And I think the media and, and, the, and, and the powers that be behind the media, they, they know for sure now that they can make you believe anything. Right. And again, with January 6th as well, you know, there's a lot of footage out there that's not being shown uh, on the media and so on that basically exonerates these people. Um, and it doesn't matter because the media is, 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 is weaving this tale that, you know, this was worse than nine 11 and people believe it. They believe it. Um, so, you know, this, it, it's like somebody said, you know, back in the thirties, you know, um, they, they actually had, you know, they actually had to put the Reichstag on fire as a false flag attack. Right to make people believe that there was an attack on the Reichstag. Today, they don't have to do that anymore. The media can just say that there's a Reichstag fire. There actually isn't. They can just say there is one and people will believe it and they'll go along with whatever, you know, solution is needed to, you know, you know, to actually like address this issue now. Um, so it's like, yeah, we're in a bad way now. Absolutely. I'm kind of glad that you, um, you brought up the vaccine thing because it was going to lead me to another point. I don't want to dwell that much on the vaccine thing specifically right. because I've talked about it so much in my other podcast. So I'll try to, right, right. I'll try right. to um, frame this in another way, but it, it's a useful um, metric. It's a useful thing to look at, which is that, um, w w you know, when it comes to the vaccine and you mentioned, and I totally agree with this, that people almost have this kind of, it's almost like a kind of religious um, belief in it. But I think this could be applied kind of more widely speaking to the media in that, 
people want to believe in the media. They want to believe that they're seeing the truth. They want to believe that someone has their best interests at harm, all the rest of it. And what I'm kind of pondering here is, is the reason that people are believing so many things in the media which are proven false and continue to believe those things. Not not necessarily those things, but they continue to believe the institutions that have um, kind of disseminated that information. Is it because it's too scary for people to actually say, wait a second, you know, these institutions um, are against my interests or that they're lying to me? Because it kind of seems to me at this stage that you know, we know how much people have been lied to. You know, for instance, you know, again, I keep saying I'm not going to talk about the vaccine, but it's it's too useful not to. Like, everyone was told the pandemic would be over, right? And, and like, for instance, in the in the UK, I'm not sure what the situation is in other parts of the world, but, you know, like, it's like record cases and everything. And people, um, they still believe, they still cling to it. All the media cling to it, that the vaccine's the answer. Most people are still saying everyone should get vaccinated. And it's like, at what point, you know, I, I've wondered at what point do people say um, they lied to me? And it seems to me that people would rather believe, would rather continue to, to believe they've been told the truth, even though everything in their environment, everything they're witnessing about the world is telling them otherwise. They would rather still believe that than to face the potentially dark or uncomfortable truth that actually they've been lied to about this very serious topic and probably many, many other things as well, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, th- this goes into like human psychology, right? So, um, yeah, you, you know, so um, there's always exceptions to the rule, I think, um, you know, like you have people who, uh, who, who did believe that the vaccine was going to work for them, they got it, and, you know, maybe they've experienced some bad side effects, or, you know, maybe, you know, somebody in their family died from it or whatever, and, and they change their mind, and they realize they've been lied to. Those people do exist, and, and they, you know, they just, you know, they they deserve a lot of credit because it's not an easy thing to do. I I, I think um, in general, uh, there's a lot of pride involved, and people just they don't want to be proven wrong, right? Um, so they will double down. It's uh, it's it's like this. I've, I, I actually haven't read this book, but I've I've seen it quoted so many times, and actually, you know, I, I forget who wrote it. I think it was maybe Eric Hoffer, um, or somebody else. I think it's called When Prophecy Fails, right? Um, and, um, I, I think Mike Cernovich actually talked about this quite a bit a, a few months ago. And, um, so, you know, what it boils down to is this, if there's a cult and they believe in, in some sort of prophecy, like the world's going to end, you know, on such and such a day, and then the day, you know, comes and goes by and nothing happens, they won't, you know, wake up and realize, you know, we've been, we've been hoodwinked. Right. We've been lied to and I'm out of here. And, you know, no, they double down. They double down. They find a new date. Right. Or whatever. They will say whatever needs to be said so that they can keep believing in this thing. And and it's not because they're so stupid or whatever. It's 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 kind of it's it's built into human psychology for some reason. And uh, you see that play out with this stuff, you know, like there's so many, you know, so many athletes just like in, in their 20s, you know, fit, healthy young men dropping dead on, on, on the pitch or whatever. And, and pilots and, you know, all, all these people, you know, and it, it's, you know, if you want to talk about an epidemic, there's an epidemic, right. But it's being suppressed and everything. And when it does come out, people will say things like, Oh, well, you know what? Uh, it, it, it would have been worse if they weren't vaccinated. Well, they're dead. You know, it's pretty bad. I don't know if it can get much worse than that, but, but there's, I, you know, I've, I've seen headlines of people saying like, Oh, so-and-so died. 
but at least they got vaccinated or else it would have been worse, you know? So it, it's just like, it turns into an insanity. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not, I'm not part of that. You know, I'm, th- I'm thankful that I'm, I'm not, I've, I've, I'm not one of these cultists. Right. But it's something that we should all, you know, I, I, I think we're all at some point, you know, like a little bit, um, vulnerable to it. And it's something that we should really take stock of, right. In our own beliefs and so on. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, people will just double down as far as they have to go. Yeah. I actually just tweeted today. This seems kind of like an obvious thing, but, um, I'm surprised that more people don't see it. I just tweeted like, if you got, if you had the vaccine and you got COVID, the vaccine failed, you know, th- there's no point in dancing around it and being like, oh yeah, but it would have right. been worse. You know, it, it would have, yeah. it would have been worse if you didn't take paracetamol for, for a, you know, a throat infection or something. That doesn't mean that you got vaccinated against it because you had something that might have had some kind of therapeutic effect, arguably. Like a vaccine is supposed, is supposed to stop you getting some, um, it's supposed to stop you getting a, a disease. That's it. Um, but anyway, I did say I'd move off the, the vaccine thing. So right, I, I'll, right. I'll, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. Let's, let's move away from no, it. No, no, <laughs> my fault. I, uh, I have a habit of falling into it because it's just so crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. It's crazy. And it's, 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 it's really affected, um, our, our, our whole society, our life, you know, down to the individual level. Uh, yeah. it's because of yeah. that essentially that, that I'm, you know, in Mexico again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I definitely want to get to that, but uh, let's let's pause on that one for a bit. But yeah, you're right. It is crazy. And part of the reason why it's so easy to kind of fall into talking about it is just because it's so mad. And, and, you know, it's almost like the the kind of pinnacle of so many of the issues. Like when I first started this podcast, I would say that, uh, I I mean, it probably took about like 10 episodes before it wasn't mentioned because it was just like, how do you how do you not talk about this thing? It's just such a a blatant example. But anyway, just back to the to the media thing Um, in the documentary you know, it talks a lot about the nature of the far left kind of being given a bit of a free ride um, when it comes to, you know, they're, they're, they're very rarely held, held to account in the same way that the, the kind of far right are, you know, that the far left can commit, you know, acts of uh, violence, etc. And it's just like, oh, well, you know, they just got triggered because, you know, someone was holding a Nazi flag or something, which even if they are holding a Nazi flag, like, you know, the important thing is never to resort to violence. I mean, that's obviously everyone can sit around and say, you know, that's a bad thing to do. But the, the point at which um, a line has been crossed is always a point of violence on, on all sides. I mean, you know, people can be people can be awful in many ways. Um, right. So my question here is, why does the media sway so far to the left? Because, and I guess just to kind of give you a bit of a, a backstory of my understanding of this, like I, I studied this kind of stuff when I was at u- university and we were always told the media swings to the right because there's all these advertisers and you know all the advertisers they want to uh, show their products and their capitalist companies and therefore the media is really right wing and i genuinely believe that at university and i continue to believe it for a while and now i see that the media is incredibly far left um so first of all do you agree do you think that people on the left think that the media is right whereas people on the right think the media is to the left which it seems to be my interpretation and second of all as someone who probably agrees that it is on the left, that it is pushing a leftist agenda, why? Why is that? What are the um, what are the factors which are, are pushing in that direction? Right, that's that's a huge question and it's it's a huge topic. Uh, so I'll I'll try and boil it down, you know, to to what my understanding is. Uh, I think first of all, um, the, the the whole terminology of left and right uh, at at some point, like it's useful, but at some point it breaks down um, because you you have people in power, and I'm not talking about, you know, in political power, I'm talking about, you know, 
you know, behind these, you know, uh, it, I'm talking about people behind elected officials, like these um, multinational, you know, corporations and, and multinational organizations like the WEF and so on. And, and when you start talking about these people, the, the whole left and right thing begins to break down because I think, you know, from their perspective, they will basically use whatever ideology is is, is going to help them achieve their goals, right? That's what they're going to push. So, um, in in the, in which case, I believe it is definitely far left, and it, it's it's pushing a leftist agenda because it seeks to it it, it seeks to it, it seeks to destroy uh, our civilization in the West, and and you know the pillars upon which it's built, which is uh, it's, it's Christianity. Um, to a, you know, to a large degree, and 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 Western thought, you know, of the Greeks and, and the Romans and so on, and uh, they they want to they want to undo all that. You see that in architecture, right, uh, with with modern art or uh, postmodern art, um, uh, and, and also art is a big topic uh, that lines up with what I'm saying here. And uh, you know, a, a big key to them is also like you know they want to destroy the family. So all this transgendered stuff that we're seeing now. And um, you know, it it it's it's seeking to it's seeking to corrupt you know this um, th the main building block of, of our civilization, which is a family unit. Um, and I think this started. Uh, you can make an argument for the '60s. I'd probably say it's 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 a lot earlier than that. Probably the '30s as well. Uh, you know, like you had a vowed communist in the State Department in the '30s. You know. Uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt's vice president, I think Wallace, he, he was, he was pretty much a communist and, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they definitely turned a blind eye, you know, to, um, towards these communists that, you know, have, have, have basically infiltrated. And anyway, so that, that's a big topic on its own, but I mean, like, like this, um, you know, this, um, this very deliberate push, you know, to infiltrate this this far left ideology into the in, in you know into the Western systems um, has been going on since then, and uh, I think the documentary as well. We we spoke to this uh, uh, this one this one professor at, at Virginia Tech. I forget his name now, but um, he he you know he, he did a lot of study on um, on media bias, and he said in the fifties it was more you know it was more balanced, like there was a real effort to show both sides of the story. But then in the seventies, it started to veer towards the left, right? And it's just gotten worse and worse. So uh, as, as far as people on the left, you know, when, when they say, well, you know, the media is, is right-wing. Um, I can see how they would say that, especially like say 2003 with the invasion of Iraq, you, you had the media like the New York times, which is considered far left today. They, they were pushing this lie about, um, you know, like the, and the whole yellow cake thing and the tubes and whatever. Um, about the, about the what, sorry? And, and the tubes, right? Like the centrifugal tubes that the, I, I, I think Dick Cheney, you know, he cited this article as proof that, you know, Saddam Hussein was, you know, engaging in, you know, in, in, in developing weapons of mass destruction, right? So right, it, right. it was like this, um, it was like this Fugazi thing going on where they used a source that was basically based on, on their own, you know, on, on, on their, on, on, on their own thinking, right? Like it, it was just this, it was a complete hack job. Uh, but it, 
it, you know, especially back then, you know, the New York Times, you know, like the old great lady, a lot of people, uh, you know, had a lot of respect for that. If they read the article, they're going to believe it, right? So uh, now it's a little bit different, uh, but, you know, I, I'd say back then, uh, you know, like most of the population was, was in favor of, of, uh, of invading. I mean, I, I was in favor of invading too. I was a snot-nosed kid at the time, but, um, you know, I looked into this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I was a complete idiot, right? But um, again, they, it, it's, it's hard when, you know, when the media who we look to as, as you know, like sense-making institutions, when, when they abuse that power to sway you, right? So, um, but yeah, uh, and, and again, so, you know, this goes back to, you know, what I said in, in the beginning first, like they, they will push whatever ideology is going gonna, is gonna to benefit their plans, right? Um, but definitely, uh, you know, since, uh, since 2015, especially with Donald Trump, it's, it's been, it's been hard left, you know, the, the, the black lives matter stuff, these people are, are avowed communists. Um, you know, the black lives matter stuff, the, um, uh, yeah, like this whole, uh, gay, you know, the gay agenda and, 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 and it's, uh, it's, it's consequences, I guess now today with the, uh, 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 you know, with like the transgendered things and whatever, like it, it's all designed to like demoralize the population and, and break them down, break down the institutions. And, and they're doing a hell of a job because, you know, I, I think it's too late to actually turn around at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I struggle to, to quite understand where the, the real push on the kind of LGBTQ front actually is, because it, it seems to me to be very obviously undermining the feminist movement, especially like recently with this, you know, the, the stuff to do with sports and, you know, like right. kind of biological men. Part of, I know that some people believe there is no such thing as a biological man, but, you know, it's someone with right. um, a certain chromosome pair, I don't, I forget, I think it's XY, I don't know. XY is the, the man, yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. So, so like a person, you know, who has that kind of um, genetic makeup participating in women's sports, it seems really obvious to me that that would just, completely undermine the feminist movement. So it almost seems to be eating itself a little bit, the left at the moment. I, I'm just not sure where the, the way out is because it's like now you've got this split where, it, you know, you're not woke enough if you're a feminist. It's like you now right. need to almost denounce feminism and basically say yes. that there's no such thing as gender and it's all getting very, very crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah. no, I was just going to say, like, I, I, I don't think it's supposed to make sense. I I, I I think that the, the, the nonsensical aspect of, of this, of this whole, you know, basically everything going on today is, is, is very deliberate because it, it makes people confused. They, they feel dumb. They feel like they're not smart enough to understand what's happening. So they are, are looking for experts, right. And they will tell them what to do. They will tell them how the world works. Right. It's very dangerous because we, you know, we're basically outsourcing our, you know, like our, 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 our minds, our, our, our thoughts, our thinking to, to some, you know, some weird cabal that does not have our best interests at heart. Totally. So yeah, the, the actual, um, the fact that the media seems very left, left wing, it's a little bit more confusing. I, I mean, I kind of agree with what you're saying here in terms of that. It's kind of, the point is to be confusing, right? Like when people are confused, first of all, like you said, they look for experts, but also that their, their guard is down. They'll believe things easier if they just have no idea, if you can't tell up from down and, and left from right, that you'll just kind of believe whatever's fed to you. So it does seem to definitely kind of serve a purpose there. I still question, you know, exactly how it's ended up being left-leaning and, and so far left-leaning, because 
you know, it would seem to me that a lot of the these big corporations and stuff that, that advertise in the media that they would, you know, in the same way that we see the war machine um, pushing their agenda, kind of surprises me that these, you know, companies, et cetera, that have kind of benefited so much from, you know, capitalism would push very, very leftist agendas. But I guess you could argue, well, these aren't, you know, it's, it's not it's not a leftist agenda, it's a corporatist agenda, right? It's a kind of, right. you know, just, just, you know, everyone will just rent everything. Everyone will just like rent from, whatever you'll get you'll hail a cab from uber and you'll rent your car and you'll rent this and that and they don't mm-hmm. own anything like in a way that does i guess right. um kind of support their agenda so i'm kind of answering my own question a bit there yeah no no i i, I think what you're saying is 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 correct as well i believe that as well i think the um you know it's it's uh what uh what's his name schwab right from from wf klaus schwab it's what he says too like with the uh, the, the fourth industrial revolution and uh you know, the, uh, the stakeholder economy, all these wonderful words, you know, it's, yeah. it's basically what he wants, what he wants, what he wants to create is, is a society of renters of, of, you know, like perpetual tenants who don't own anything. And, uh, in, in such a society, um, it's, it's, it's not going to be, it's, it's not going to be the state that that's going to be a government. It's, it's going to be these corporations, right? It's going to be these big tech corporations. It's you know, it's going to be your Netflix. It's going to be your Amazon, Google. They already kind of are like some sort of a shadow government already. Um, they just want to make that more permanent, right? So I, I think, yeah, you know, I, I just wanted to say that uh, with what you said there, I definitely agree with it. Yeah, no, I think you summarized that really well. So yeah, um, that was a uh, very very succinct, I think, but. Just one more thing on the documentary before we kind of talk about, uh, you know, something that me and you are kind of both familiar with, which is your move to, to, to Mexico. And, you know, I'm kind of on that journey as well, um, is the BLM stuff. There was a guy in the documentary who was, I think, quite high up in um, BLM. I don't know if he was one of the leaders or something. And there's this really great scene where he's kind of literally being shown news articles he'd never seen before about um, kind of white uh, people being killed by black people. I don't know whether it was white people being killed by police officers or something. And, you know, he seemed to just not even know that this stuff existed. Uh, I think there was some kind of, you know, mass shooting where multiple um, people had been killed and he was like, right. well, that was obviously a racial killing. And if it was the other way around, it would have been said that it was a racial killing, but because it was white people being killed, it wasn't termed that way. And this guy, you know, who was a black guy, like a, a um, BLM leader of some sort, he seemed to just really quickly become very, how do I, how do I phrase this? He, he seemed to be so open to it, um, to changing his mind. And very quickly, um, he was like, yeah, you know, like, this is, a, why aren't we hearing about this? This is really obvious. It shouldn't be happening. It was almost like he just, he never realized there was another side of the story that wasn't being told. And that scene gave me hope. I, I'm just interested to get your, your thoughts on that scene. And, you know, first of all, kind of the scene itself and also just like that, kind of concept of, you know, breaking right. down these kind of barriers. Yeah, that was, that was a very rare, uh, a very rare moment that we did, you know, that, uh, that we were privileged to actually witness as well. Uh, because again, like what, you know, it's, it's like what I was saying earlier, we, we don't really get the opportunity to actually engage with people who, who believe something, you know, uh, you know, so, you know, so to the opposite side of what you believe, in good faith, right? It's usually, if, if there isn't kind of a conversation, it's not even a conversation, it's just a shouting match or whatever, right? It's, it's just very nasty. Um, so, so that was, uh, you know, that was 
you know, like really important, I think, and I, I, I do give Hawk, uh, that's his name, Hawk Newsom. I give, I, I give him a lot of credit for that because again, he, he was the only person who, who wanted to talk to us, um, who, who did not really share our view on things. Right. So, um, you know, he, yeah, you know, that was real big of him. And, um, you know, again, he, he's, in, in my view, you know, he's, he's still a, a far left guy, you know, um, and, and, you know, he sincerely believes the old BLM narrative and so on. But I think, you know, his, his biggest problem in, in the BLM organization is that he's actually very sincere because that organization, the way it started off, um, I, I, I'm a little bit vague on the details now. It's been a while, but, uh, you know, some of the first leaders who, you know, you know, um, who basically started that organization. Uh, I think one guy was even killed or they got worked out and they were basically, you know, like replaced by these, I'm going to just say, uh, you know, like corporate funded people like DeRay and, and, and these guys. And um, a, a lot of them are Marxists. Like um, I, I think it was Patrice Cullors who said that we, we are committed Marxists. So they're not there, you know, you know, for sincere reasons to help the black community or, or at least that's not the main thing. They are there, you know, to basically agitate for a, a Marxist revolution. And that's why they're basically hand in hand with, uh, you know, for example, Antifa, right? Um, now, Hawk is different as far as I can tell. Uh, he's very sincere. Uh, so he's the leader of Black Lives Matter Greater New York. So it's, it's not New York, but uh, basically Long Island, right? As, as far as I understand. And, um, you know, he's... Um, Really interesting. So I'll, I'll, I'll share a little anecdote as well. When we shot the interview, as we were setting up, you know, we were talking about that one scene where uh, he went to, he, he, he basically went to this Trump rally and started shouting things and people were like shouting back at him. And, and then the guy on, on the stage invited him up and Hawk went up and he gave this like rousing speech and people applauded him and it was this beautiful moment. And what he told me as we were setting up the interview, now again, um, he did not want this to be on camera. So, um, but I, I think it's at this point, you know, it's been long enough and I think people need to hear this, but again, this is, it's my word now, right? It, it's just based on what I'm saying. Uh, but he told me that, that he got pulled aside, you know, you know, by some of his friends there, or, you know, like his, uh, of, 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 um, of BLM, like, uh, he got pulled aside by these other BLM leaders and saying like, and, and they told him, you, you can't be saying this stuff. Okay. Cause we'll lose our funding. What was that when he, he did the speech that was in the documentary? Right. About uh, yeah. when he basically said, I'm an American, I'm a Christian. And right. you know, he kind of, you know, basically right. tried to narrow those divisions between himself and the Trump supporters that he was giving the speech right. to. Wow. Exactly. And, they, and they basically told him, like, you know, that you can't be doing this. Because we'll lose our funding. Yeah, which is, which is super interesting. And this is another one of the... Um, messages in the documentary which i totally agree with which is that every time you have this opportunity for people to kind of come together you know that that speech that section of the documentary was just so good it was like so heartwarming you see this guy go up and he's in front of all these trumpers and before there was all this division and he just went up and said um you know he just connected with them and and it kind of brought these these people together and there was pictures and things afterwards and i was just like wow like this is this is what it's all about and and the media will never ever show that you know the media only wants division and you know, this is a thing like, you know, obviously, like we talk about these things like BLM and, and obviously have our, our suspicions, but like probably most people who support BLM, like most people are not 
you know, on the extreme end of that, they genuinely just think, okay, we want, um, you know, as we all do, you want more um, equality between races, etc. Like, this is right. not like a controversial thing. The controversial part is, you know, when you say, okay, well, actually, um, you should have different rights. You should have additional rights for this group, or you should have fewer rights for right. this group, etc. Right? Like, right, but right. Um, the fundamental, the fundamental message, you know, most people they they want more more kind of um, harmony. You don't want conflict between people, etc. You want everyone to kind of have the opportunity to succeed. So. But these messages are never pushed, right? It's always the, no. you know, the the evil, you know, far right people who are, um, you know, which is such an incredibly small group, um, you know, as I'm sure the extreme far left who want to burn things down are, are, are also a small group. I wonder whether they are quite as small because they kind of are given a, a bit more of a um, a soft touch from the media, essentially. But still, both both are a fringe, right? Most people mm. sit in the middle. And, um, right. you know, that was a really great example um, of just how people can be brought together. And I guess, like, a lot of focus needs to be spent there. And, and the documentary really did a great job of, of, of doing that, of showing that that is possible. Right. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. And it's, it's sad that it doesn't happen enough, um, you know, because we, we can learn from them, right? And they can learn from us. And, and you know, there needs to be like a there, – there needs to be – you know, there just needs to be good faith in, in, in how we talk to each other, but it, it's so rare now. And, um, and people just get bitter and, and polarized and, and, you know, like accusatory. And it's just, um, I don't know, it's just a sad situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let's move on to uh, Mexico and your story of arriving there because yeah, it's a really interesting story. Oh, oh, by the way, shout out to Richard Nichols, who was the person who introduced us. Oh, Richard. Absolutely. And yeah, when we when we met over at Richard's place, um, you know, you had a really interesting story of coming to to Mexico, and I thought it was just you've made a really big move. Essentially, you know, like most people are making some changes in their life off the back of the kind of authoritarianism that we've seen growing around the world. But obviously, being from Canada yourself, you're kind of, you know, you were in the belly of the beast, so to speak. Why don't you just share that story of kind of how you came to that decision and that process and, and just all of your thoughts around it? Yeah, it's funny. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a, it was a, a very big decision and it, it simultaneously took a very long time to make and also it, it was made very quickly. Um, so as I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, um, I, I, was, I was involved in, in politics in Canada in 2004, right? This was the, uh, the first year of, of the new Conservative Party. And, uh, you know, 2004, uh, I was 19 years old, you know, going on to 20 that year. And, um, you know, you're young and you're, you're idealistic and all this stuff. And um, I don't want to talk too much about that, but I, I, I got disillusioned pretty quick by what I saw. A lot of corruption in the party that basically just got started. A lot of corruption, a lot of cowardice, right? And I think that is, you know, that's a very unique it's a, it's a very unique trait amongst conservatives in Canada and even in the U.S. as well, but, but especially Canada. It's a lot of cowardice, this moral cowardice, uh, you know, super afraid of standing up for what's right because of what the media might say. You know, and I've known since then that the media was biased against conservatives. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it, 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 and back then it was common knowledge if you were a conservative and, and you, were, you were deathly afraid of what they might say, right, for the most part. And that's what I'm talking about. It's the moral cowardice, right? And so I, I kind of left politics, you know, I just thought um, this is not the answer to any kind of meaningful change, right? It's, it's part of the problem. And, um, you know, through that lens, I just came to the understanding that 
um, that basically Canada is on a path that is going to lead to, to it's, it's going to lead to a dictatorship. I knew this for a very long time. And as the years went on, that view just got confirmed over and over and over again, right? Yeah, and it's sad because, you know, from about 2006 to 2015, um, uh, you know, Canada had, had, had a, a conservative government under Stephen Harper. Uh, but, you know, to my mind, I mean, and he was a much better leader than what we have now with, with Trudeau. It was just complete terrible, but, but he's doing his job very well. But, uh, you know, um, things were good under Harper. Uh, we had a strong economy for the most part. And, um, you know, like he was a real statesman. But, you know, in my, in my eyes, he, he was still too cushy with the globalists, signing on to these, you know, uh, you know, like these huge trade agreements like the TPP and things like that and supporting that sort of thing, um, where you basically lose your sovereignty, uh, you know, in, in, in piecemeal fashion. Um, so I, I just, and I also knew that, um, you know, that basically despite um, him being in power that, uh, you know, it was basically a, a, a left-wing nation. It's, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a very liberal country and the population is extremely propagandized, more so than in the U.S. and, and basically more, uh, you know, more than most countries that I know of. Um, so I, I always knew there was going to be a time when, you know, that beautiful country is going to reach a tipping point and fall into totalitarianism. And we've already passed that now, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So when, uh, when, when Justin Trudeau won in 2015, I knew he would win a majority and people wouldn't believe me. I knew he would win a majority. And uh, the day he won, I, 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 uh, I, you know, we were visiting my in-laws and I told them, I'm like, this is not going to end well. Right, like this is not going to end well, and unfortunately, I was completely correct on that. Um, so that was 2015, and uh, so you know, by the time 2020 rolls around and, and COVID happens, and now there's these lockdowns and there's vaccine mandates, I knew this was it. This is it for Canada, right? There's not going to be any meaningful resistance to this. Now, I was a little bit wrong on that. As, as we saw at the beginning of this year, but I think on balance, I was still correct because, you know, they, that, that resistance got quashed like a cockroach, um, which also was not surprising to me because when you understand how these people think, when, when you look at a guy like Trudeau and you understand, you know, when, when, you, when, when you understand the ideology that drives them and the mentality that drives them, they have no problem with going all the way to stop you know, to stop any kind of threat to their power. They will, they will use, you know, whatever means are at their disposal. Um, they don't care what it looks like. They don't care how, how bad it looks. They just, they just don't care, right? They, they have full power, right? So, and he's going to be now in power until 2025. So to me, it's like, it, it's rest in peace, Canada, right? So, but anyway, when, when, uh, when, when, when that rolled around in 2020, um, I, I knew, okay, you know what? Uh, it's, uh, you know, like the time's going to come where I'm going to have to leave the country. Um, so what basically happened was my brother, he was really pushing Mexico for a while. And he's like, we got to go this year, man. We got to go. And I, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of having an awing actually. I didn't really feel like moving. Um, and uh, I'm like, you know what? At some point in the summer of that year, I, I told him, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to stay. I'm staying. You know, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. I, I, I'm done like, like moving around all over the place. Like my, my family, we've moved a lot 
you know, I was born in South Africa, I lived in Belgium, then moved to Ontario, then moved to BC, and then now, now it's a new country, right? I'm just like, I'm done, I don't want to do this. But then this, uh, this leaked email, you know, started circulating online. And uh, basically, it was an email that was written by somebody uh, who was part of the Strategic Planning Committee, which was run by the PMO. It's the Prime Minister's office. It's like the White House, right? And uh, they, they had a, a secret meeting, uh, you know, where they basically laid out uh, how they're going to, you know, how they're going to run things, you know, th you know, through the pandemic, right? And it was all this authoritarian stuff, like there's going to be a lockdown and then, in, you know, then there's going to be a variant or in, in the email, it was called uh, COVID-21. There's going to be a new strain, right? But, you know, you know, we just call it variants when it happened. There's going to be a new strain. There's going to be more lockdowns and vaccine mandates. And basically, it, 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 it basically ends up with, uh, you know, with if, if you don't, if you don't take the shot, you are sent to a camp. Uh, because you're, you, you know, you are now a, a threat to society. And, you know, so that to me was like, okay, this actually makes sense to me because I, again, like I said, I understand their mentality. I, I know what they're capable of, right? This, this is not shocking to me. This actually is plausible to me. You know, you know, their version of what's happening on the news doesn't add up. But when I read this, this adds up. So to me, it was plausible. And people were saying, oh, this is fake news. This is conspiracy theory. I'm like, this is, this is real. And, um, you know, and in, in that document, too, there were other things like, um, you know, UBI, right, because of COVID, you know, there's going to be a, you know, it, it, it really hit the economy hard and people are without work and, you know, they need money. So we, we have to bring in universal basic income, but you can only get it if, if you basically agree to uh, not own anything. It's a great reset, right? If you agree to not own anything and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it, it's, it's a great reset. Um, you know, on, on the path of COVID, right? So again, like I said, when I read this document, to me, it made complete sense. It, it, it was the most plausible explanation of what was happening. Um, and that to me, you know, that, that was a signal. And I told my brother, I'm like, I'm in, let's do this. We, I, I had just bought a car at that point, right? And like, once I made that decision, I think it was about two weeks and then we were out of the country. So sold as much as we could, hopped on a plane. Um, you know, we knew there was a, a new lockdown coming in BC. We were not sure if they were going to close, you know, if, 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 if you know, look, and they were going to close the, uh, you know. Uh, airports? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we were not sure if, if, if they were going to close the airports at that point. So we, you know, to us, it was a deadline. Like two weeks from now, we're going to be out of here. In two weeks, we were gone. We, we were out of there. It was complete hell to, to like, basically organize your life, you know, a, a move like that. Uh, but we did it and uh, we arrived in Mexico in, uh, in uh, late November, 2020. And that's before the first vaccine even rolled out. I knew they were coming with the vaccines based on that document. And of course it was already announced at that point, you know, uh, warp speed and all the BS. So yeah, it was just, uh, it was, a, it was, it, 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 it was a pretty insane moment for us. Was it just you and your brother who made that decision, or was there? Did you have uh, other family? Yeah, my my uh, my my father and mother are here as well, so they they actually came with us. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. You've got you've got based parents, right? They are based for sure, hundred percent. Yeah. Is that is that um has that been an influence on you? Then it seems like maybe that's not a coincidence if your parents were willing to escape 
tyranny in Canada that maybe that when they were raising you and your brother, they raised you to be much more critical thinkers than most. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was definitely a process. And I, 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 I think they influenced me and I also influenced them for sure. Because, um, well, again, you know, uh, like I said before, I was, I was born in South Africa. When I was about four years old, we left to Belgium. And, um, but nine years after that, we moved to Canada. And when we moved to Canada, it, it was extremely apparent to us how biased the media was. So we always knew not to trust the media. Um, but, you know, you know, because of that, we were, we were big Bush fans, right? Because the media was against Bush. So we were like, oh, Bush is great, you know? Yeah, neoconservatism, neo right, you know? <laughs> um, of course, I've completely changed my mind on that, thank God, you know? But um, yeah, we, we always knew not, not to trust the media. But then um, in, in about 2009, that's when I went to like, you know, like the real awakening, like, oh, 9-11 is an inside job, all, all that stuff, right? And I just went on this like tear of watching stuff and reading things and, and it just made sense to me. And at that point I was completely, I, at that point I was completely irredeemable. I, I'm a conspiracy theorist now and uh, you know, and you know, like whatever you want to call me. Right. But um, when that happened um, I started to feed the stuff to my family, but my, my mom was actually the first one to be like, yeah, you're right. I agree with you. Right. And then, uh, yeah, you know, just over the years, we all just sort of, um, you know, we, we, we all just sort of arrived on the same page. And that's definitely made things a lot easier. I know, especially with COVID, a lot of families have been split up. Uh, marriages have been split up. And it's just a complete, uh, it, it's, it's, it's so tragic what, what has happened to families. So I, I really do consider myself fortunate in that regard. Yeah, that's really, really awesome to hear. I mean, um, but yeah, I think you're right. Like during these pivotal times in history, though, it's happened quite a lot. I mean, it seems unprecedented to us and I guess it kind of is in our lifetime, but when you kind of like read about what happened in like Maoist China and things, you know, like families were just were just ripped apart over essentially politics. I mean, politics is probably a bit right. of a narrow narrow term for it, but it's like an ideology, you know, that just deliberately, yeah, yeah, like like you were saying earlier, it kind of breaks the family unit, right? It's like right. you know the um, the government gets in between, um, you know, families and communities because they basically say, hey, these people are the enemy. You know, this person's the unvaxxed, this person isn't wearing a mask, et cetera. Like, right. they're your enemy. Like, you know, hate them. And it drives people apart with a wedge. Yeah, yeah. sad. But anyway, but it's, it's awesome that you're in Mexico now and, uh, and living your best life. So just briefly, do you want to just uh, talk about your new film? Because I saw that you've got a new one coming out now. Right, yeah. So a few months ago, I, I, I was basically contacted by... Uh, Lauren Southern, I don't know if you know her. Um, you know, she's made a few documentaries uh, in the past, like, uh, you know, one about the, uh, um, the white farm murders in South Africa called Farmland. She also made one uh, about the, the migrant crisis in Europe called Borderless. Like, you know, she does really good work. So she wanted to do a documentary on, on, on the border crisis in the US, but, you know, shot in Mexico. Um, so I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Right. So I, I basically helped her, you know, with the filming and the editing of that. And, uh, it's pretty much done. I think it might be released in like the next week or maybe two or so. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it was a real, 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 real interesting experience to, uh, you know, to do that. And I think, you know, I think people are going to really like the film as well. Has it launched yet? And, no, it's not. Uh, if, if you go on our Twitter, it's uh, I'll, I'll, I'll actually put up a Twitter as well. I, I just recently, uh, you know, I, I just recently nuked all my tweets. I'm kind of a little bit sick of Twitter as well, but I still kind of need it. Right. 
but uh, I'll put it up on there as well. So it, uh, it's, the, the documentary is called American Mirage. And um, yeah, you, uh, you, can see, you, can see, you can see the trailer now and um, it'll be launched like, uh, you know, in my estimation in the next two weeks. So uh, definitely something to look forward to. This should go out maybe, yeah, pro- probably, probably this week. This, so this, this should be out before it's launched. So yeah, everyone go watch that. Great. All right, man. Um, just before you go, um, why don't you just let people know where they can find you and obviously where they can find you, your films as well. And also just any final parting words that you have, anything positive that you might want to share. I'll just leave the floor uh, for you to close things off. Right. Okay. Yeah. You can find me uh, at, at my website, johndutoit.com. So that's J-O-N-D-U-T-O-I-T.com. And uh, you'll find... Uh, on, on there, you'll you'll find links to um, uh, you know my my films and things like that. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at John Dutrois. And um, again, I'll you know like I said, I just nuked all my tweets uh, a few days ago, but I'll, I'll start posting there again soon. I'm actually working on on launching a music project, um, uh, so that will probably happen in the next month or so. Um, something I'm really excited about as well. And um, yeah, you know, just you know, just follow me on Twitter and. Uh, and, and on my website and then, you know, you'll see the news there. Uh, as far as parting words go, I mean, yeah, you know, things are definitely very negative now and, uh, and, and dark and all that as, as a lot of bad things happen in the world, but there's still a lot of beauty. And I think it's important for us to not lose track of uh, beauty in the world. And we should do our best to, to share that with people and, uh, and you know, and, and with our loved ones and so on. And, you know, we should, you know, we should get closer to God and um, try and, you know, see the, uh, you know, and see the light in life uh, as much as possible, especially during these dark days. Amazing. Thanks so much, man. Really enjoyed the talk, man. Thank you so much for having me.